Creative Babble. Hey everyone, I'm about to go on a much needed vacation. And I didn't want to rush the next episode, because it's really good. So, I decided to drop a bonus show for you to feast on. It's a series of interviews about pretend radio. A lot of you always ask me, how do I get my story ideas? How do I find the people who I interview? So I thought you might find these interviews interesting. The first interview I would like for you to listen to is my conversation with Aaron from the Generation Y podcast. It was a huge honor to be featured on their show. For those of you who don't know, Generation Y is kind of a big deal. They're currently top 50 on iTunes as of this recording. Aaron wanted to know more about the reporter who shot and killed the TV crew live on television. Here's a little bit of the interview. Now, you said your show is about people who pretend to be someone else. And quite often, this is at the expense of people who don't know they're pretending. They're hiding a secret. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, unfortunately, so sometimes I'm interviewing the victim and sometimes I'm interviewing the con artist. Uh, You know, a lot of people, I think we all kind of, to a certain degree, live a lie. There's this uh, this concept called... uh, Uh, imposter syndrome where, you know, some people feel like they're not really good enough at whatever they're doing. That's a form of pretending, right? But then you got people who are genuinely trying to take advantage of somebody and they're disguising their motivations. And I, I feel like, you know, trying to tell those kind of stories, it's helpful so that people could possibly avoid being conned or scammed, you know? So it's trying to, to explain that psychology of what motivates people and how do you know when somebody's like being upfront with you? Yeah. And that's just that we don't know. Even the person who's next to you, sometimes you don't know if they're pretending at some point about something or if they're pretending about everything. No, it, it's awesome too, because like, you know, we, we talk about like pretend as, as if it's a bad thing, but I'll give you an example of a, of a good pretend story that I've done. I interviewed an undercover uh, FBI agent, and this is a, a man who has to pretend as a, as a career, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's pretending and he's the good guy and he's pretending in situations that are life-threatening, you know? Uh, so trying to tell those stories are really fascinating. Like trying to ex- like get behind the scenes of what those people are thinking. So that's an example of someone pretending for good, but we usually hear the story of what happens when someone's pretending for bad and your latest episode, which I think is, is it episode 16? Yeah, it's episode 16 of season two on pretend radio. Yeah. It's called the reporter. The reporter is, um, it's the story of, um, actually I'll kind of spoil it for you guys, but it's a story of, uh, one of my former coworkers. It's when I was a photojournalist in Greenville, North Carolina. It was like my first news job. And as a photojournalist, my job was to, uh, sit in a car all day with a reporter and we would go chase stories. I mean, this is what we did every day. You know, I would like to say it was eight hours a day, but it really was more like 12, 15 hours a day. We were, you know, kind of two people formed into one, you know, we were always together. And this, this reporter that I worked with come to find out, you know, it it was actually eight or 10 years after we worked together, um, 
killed a news crew live on camera. And many of your listeners probably remember this day. It was about two years ago and it was horrifying. It was horrifying for me. And the worst part was that when I first heard the news, I didn't even know who the killer was. You know, I didn't recognize the name. And that's because the news was reporting the perpetrator as Bryce Williams. Exactly. So when I heard that, that name, Bryce Williams killed, you know, a reporter and a cameraman and uh, during the morning news, it didn't, it didn't really ring a bell. And that's because Bryce Williams wasn't the killer's real name. It was Vester Flanagan. It was Vester, the, the reporter I worked with for many years. And so not only did that news have a sh- chilling effect on me, just like it did everybody else who heard that news, but then it was that double whammy of finding out that, no, 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 this guy, it was actually Vester. This guy was my reporter. And we weren't like the best of buddies. So like, you know, all of a sudden I start looking in and thinking back, I was like, could that have been me? I mean, you know, he obviously was a disgruntled employee that went after his coworkers and then I started looking back. Did I ever do anything to make him upset? You know, and, and it, it was very upsetting. I, I think I had to leave work that day. It was it was that that bad. I just couldn't do anything. I was sh- shutting down. They did warn another of his former co-workers, right, that he was on the loose and hadn't been apprehended yet. Yeah, because the moment they discovered because you see when the when he shot the the camera crew, um he started walking towards the camera and they, and they caught a glimpse of him and it was a really blurry shot. And, uh, I couldn't, even when I saw the news in the morning and then I saw that shot, I couldn't make out that it was Vester, but I, I guess upon further ex- examination, the, the station figured it out. And when they figured that out, police called the, uh, you know, a reporter that he was having trouble with. I mean, even when I worked with him, he had trouble with, people that we work together. So I'm sure they just alerted everyone and anyone that could have had a conflict with him. And that's where when he was loose and you knew it was him, you kind of wondered, hey, what if I'm on the list? Well, I mean, not not really. I didn't feel like my life was in, in danger because uh, it was happening. I was in North Carolina. He was in Virginia when it happened. So I didn't feel like I was that never crossed my mind that I was in, in an immediate danger. But I did think of like, man, what if he did snap while we were working together? Because he described himself after researching this and reading his manifesto, he described himself as a like a, a powder keg just waiting to explode. So he's been building this anger for years, right? Like this just didn't, he didn't just wake up one morning and decide to do this. This is a man that even while we worked together, he was building this anger and it was just building and building. And fortunately for me, it happened years later, but unfortunately for that news crew, you know, they paid the price. Right. And like the, the whole angle of my story is what did I miss? Because honestly, I, I did not see that coming. I mean, I could point out flaws in his character, but I would have never seen that coming. And in fact, there have been other people in my life who I would have suspected something like that who have never committed a crime like that but Vester did and so why why did he do it and why didn't I see it you know well before we started recording we had a conversation about when people pretend 
you don't know what's going on with them. Not really. Mm -hmm. And if someone has anger building up and they're hiding it, then you don't know about it. Our perceptions rule the day. We have this idea that, oh, well, so-and-so might do something like that. But this guy over here, I don't think so. But we could very well be wrong. Yeah. So Vester was a African-American gay man. Okay. And I think, you know, I never saw anybody discriminate against him, but um, there were, even when we worked together, instances where he felt like maybe his race was an issue with some people or his sexuality. And um, even though I didn't perceive that to be discrimination in his head, you know, talking to the to uh, the counselor who I interviewed in the story is like these these people who hold these grievances they kind of they change the moral math so that they could justify what their anger you know and so a situation that might come across as normal or or non-memorable to most people they could flip that in their head and and make that an issue right and then it just builds and builds and I think that's what really happened with Vester. Was there no avenue for him to file a complaint to, you know, if there was racism against him, did he feel like there wasn't that avenue available to him? Yeah. I mean, looking back now, uh, just reporting it as a, as a journalist and as a podcaster, I realized that throughout his career, even when we worked together, he's filed many HR complaints. He's sued stations for racial discriminations. He's sued uh, you know, he's had altercations with uh, other journalists or reporters in the newsroom about his, you know, sexuality. And like he he, he was very confrontational. He would either conf- confront it himself or he would take it up, you know, to HR or or in the courts. So I, I guess he felt that maybe the system failed him, you know. Perception seems to rule all. And if you have attempted to work within the system, no matter what anyone else thinks, if you feel like you're being wronged and no one's doing anything about it, mm-hmm. that's that's anger. And, you know, to me, he was never violent. But I guess, you know, looking back at his past and I didn't learn this until much later you know, when I was investigating this, that he actually had a violent past. And that's usually an indicator for this kind of behavior, you know? So like if if you come from a violent past, it's easy to cross that bridge, you know? And his mother was a very abusive. She threatened to kill his dad. They, his father, who was actually, I didn't mention this in the, in the show, but his father was an NFL player, big guy. And uh, he filed for a restraining order against his wife because um, she sounded like she wasn't well-wrapped. Investor saw all this. So when it comes to pretending and you're looking at Vester Flanagan, what do you think he was pretending? I used my my show as a way to really gather my thoughts about this, because this is a topic that I haven't really talked much about, not with my coworkers or anybody else. So I, I wanted to use this opportunity to express myself. Right. And the pretend angle here is that Fester was living under this persona called Bryce Williams. Um, he formed this persona. It was his news persona. And actually, that's not very uncommon in news. A lot of people go by different names, you know, just because it sounds better. But for me, that was the that was the first layer of the pretend angle. The, the other pretend angle was that 
gosh, I worked with this guy every day. I had no idea, you know? So like in a way he was pretending to fit in, right? Where if I would have looked a little closer, I would have realized that he didn't have like furniture in his apartment when when we lived in the same city and then come to find out when um, after after this whole horrific scene was over and they went to his apartment, he still had very little furniture. It was very like unkept and rotten food and just pictures of himself pasted, uh, posted on the wall. I mean, there were like signs, right? So like the pretend angle there is that we're only seeing the veneer as society, as coworkers, we're only seeing veneer of people. And when you look closer, you know, we're living a different life, you know, but some people are living it in much more extreme ways than others. So, you know, uh, interesting. I did not finish the script when I wrote this episode. Uh, because I didn't know how to end it. And I I usually write every word on on my episodes and I just couldn't finish this one. And so I sat in front of the microphone and I improvised the ending. It's like, you know what? I I have no scientific proof of this, but maybe if we're just kind to each other, I mean, it sounds like such a cop-out, but maybe if we're just nice to each other and take the time to get to know somebody, even if they seem weird or, um, or withdrawn or, or just not like you or whatever, let's be nice, you know, and maybe that kindness. And I feel like during our time that we work together, uh, several of us express that kind of kindness. And I, I wonder if that's why that time period in his life was a positive time in his life when we work together. And, you know, it's so easy to be dismissive of people. And I know it seems like a cop-out way of ending it, but that's all I could come up with, you know? At the end of the day, there's really no sign of what to look for because I miss them all, right? And even when you talk to the professionals, they'll give you the signs, but just because you have hold grievances doesn't mean you're going to be a serial killer or a, or a psychopath or a mass murderer. Um, but if we're nice to each other, you know, that's, that's just the least we could do, right? I think it's a great starting point. Yeah. The next interview I thought you would find interesting is my chat with Joe Maurer from the Maurer Glass podcast. Joe wanted to know more about my process. Here's part of the interview. uh, I'm so impressed that you're doing a podcast. (laughs) Well, thank you. You know, you had a lot to do with that. For the people who don't know about Pretend Radio, tell us what it's about. I'm an old video director, so I love telling stories. So I was like, oh, I'll make little mini documentaries for for podcasts. You know, I decided to to do this topic about people pretending to be someone else. I, I was fascinated by that idea. And it actually started because I developed this fear of speaking in public. Yeah. And I used to do stand up comedy. And I was like, I, I got it got to the point where I was scared to speak to my team, like the people that I worked with every day. I'm like, why am I nervous talking to like my coworkers? So I needed to get back on stage and like overcome this fear. And the only way I could think about overcoming this fear is pretending to be someone else. That's where the idea came from. Wow. And so I was like, oh, I would love to tell stories about other people pretending to be someone else. And at first I thought it was going to be a podcast about like actors and ghostwriters and stuff. And it slowly turned into this like true crime type podcast about like undercover agents, 
con artists, you know, like just people living a lie. Um, I, th- I tried to make the show not a way to glorify people who are taking advantage of other people, but if, if you listen to my show and you learn something from it so that you won't be a victim, that would that's like the goal for me, right? Like if there's something that somebody takes away from one of my shows and they won't become a victim, I feel like we won. But, but the goal is not to glorify these con artists or these liars, you know? Yeah, I definitely have sort of taken that from some of your podcasts because it just highlights for you that there are really people out there who are intentionally trying mm-hmm. to con you. And it, you don't necessarily even think that of people. You know what I've, I've noticed? Because I, I, I try to take a journalistic angle with all my stories because I, I am a journalist but like I, I study journalism and so I try to be kind of you know neutral but I can't help sometimes like wonder how did these people fall for this you know what I mean like how is that possible and, and you know the more you dig into these stories you find out that these people that these victims they don't even realize they're getting conned because they are so deep in the con, like once they got you in the con, it, it's it's impossible to see what is very obvious to everybody else. Yeah. You know, this one story I'm working on now is about this woman who was a millionaire and a con artist, you know, after her husband died, a con artist came in, stole, uh, pretty much conned her out of all her money oh. to the point where she couldn't even pay her light bill. Okay. Wow. And I'm like, how... How did you not see this coming? Or like, why didn't you say no to this guy? But once you're in that deep into a con, you can't really, you have no perspective. So how do you find the people who are the subjects of your podcasts? That's the number one question I get all the time. And I wish I knew the answer to it because it would make my life a lot easier. (laughs) Um, There is not one place, right? You know, it's it's all about keeping, you know, your ear low to the ground. Is that the expression? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't like, you know, like saying expressions because I always, Ricky Ricardo, I always mess them up. But, uh, you know, it's all about like reading articles, you know, um, there are stories that pop up on the AP wire mm-hmm. that are fascinating and they just pop up and then they disappear and nobody ever follows up on them. And so like, that's one way. Another way is like, I, this is silly, but I already know what kind of story I want to cover. So like, I knew I wanted to cover a story about a snake oil salesman, you know, because it's just a classic con artist story, right? right. And so I start out with the concept and then I go, I go and I start digging and I try to tie the concept to a real story, you know? Right. And then and then I start finding either the victims or I always try to approach the actual con artists themselves to, to see if they would tell their side of the stories. And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. Yeah. But. So who did you really want to get that just said no? Oh, man. <laughs> it's a very long list. But <laughs> I, could, uh, I could tell you my two favorites. This French con artist from the documentary on Netflix called The Imposter, which is check it out. He pretty much cussed me out on Facebook and told, told me to take a long walk. Uh. And I know, but it was awesome. It was like the best <laughs> rejection ever. Do you remember the, the former 
NAACP um, <gasps> Spokane, Washington yes. uh, President uh, Rachel Dozel. Mm-hmm. She, uh, we've been talking, and I almost had her in season one, and uh, she had a new book, and then you know, then she decided not to do it. She didn't like close the door, but she decided not to do well, it. Well, I hope she does do yeah. it. That would be fascinating. Yeah, but I mean, you know, you win some, you lose some, and right. uh, I've had. I've had more wins than losses. So. Yes, yes. You've yeah. had some great ones. So um, of the people that you have interviewed so far or the subjects of the of your um, episodes so far, did somebody surprise you even though you knew their story? Like, was there a surprise to you? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm literally surprised every time I do an interview because, you know, I go in knowing a lot about the story. I kind of know where the story is going and yet I'm always surprised. But one particular interview that kind of surprised me and also surprised the person who I was interviewing, like was the undercover agent. I I interviewed this FBI undercover agent. That was fascinating. Yeah, his story was great. And when I put it together, I mean, it fascinated me when I was talking to him. It fascinated me and surprised me when I was editing it. And then after I put it together and put it on the air and he listened to it, it fascinated him. He yeah. was like, this is my story. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like shocked, you know, like you had, he said, you had me at the edge of my seat. And right. then that's what I try to do with my show. You know, I try to make it, it is, I have a news angle to it, but I want to make it entertaining. And so the way I drip information like I'm not giving you like a traditional news story starts out with the most important information on top right okay and then they kind of work their way down I don't take that approach I want to start the story sometimes if it's best to start the story in the middle Mm -hmm. you know just drop the listener in the middle of the action and then and they don't know a lot they just know what's happening and then I'm slowly painting a picture around that scene and I like to reveal information I think that's where the suspense comes in they're really beautifully edited and that one actually was the podcast that had me most on the edge of my seat because a lot of the people are imposters and they're um, they're devious but that guy had to his job was to be an imposter and it was life or death for him to pull it off. You know, I think we all have fa- secret fantasies about being in the FBI or, you know, the movies glorify it. But here I am talking to this real undercover FBI agent. And there's one scene in particular that once you listen to it, no one's going to want to sign up for the FBI after mm, that. No. You know, he's in this room with this, you know, mafioso type guy and his goons are right behind them and it just goes south right right it goes south really fast right and how he got out of that situation alive i mean this is not acting this is like he's acting for his life right you know what i mean like this is like real life and these guys do this all the time and you know what's amazing about these fbi guys they play these incredible roles undercover roles right day or night and yeah sure they're eating fancy restaurants with mob bosses or whatever but when that's all done they go back to their hotel room or wherever they are staying and then they gotta do paperwork yeah (laughs) like nobody ever talks about that right (laughs) right they have to like file all those receipts for those fancy dinners right call their wife and and yeah (laughs) yeah they're like real people at the end of the it's to me that that story stands out 
So how did you become the storyteller? How did that happen? I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I feel like I've always and I've always gravitated to telling stories. Even as a kid, you know, I wanted to be an animator. But I think once I started working in news, that's where it really kicked in the whole mechanism of telling stories because it is it is it is science i mean it's it's a, it's art but it's also science the w- the way you tell a story mm-hmm. and i learned that there and i also made some documentaries and i've uh produced a lot of commercials and videos for corporations so uh, the story part has always been part of my profession and then but this has been the first opportunity to tell a story the way i want to tell a story and not you know, the way my clients want me to tell a story. You know, this is just a hobby. Uh, I have, I never started this with the, like the dream of like becoming the next big podcast. Like seriously, this was a way for me to uh, express myself creatively. And the fact that people like it, that's awesome. But you know, now that people like it, I secretly fantasize about, um, you know, doing like a live show in Australia, you know, like, <laughs> I don't even know what that will look like, but you know, if enough people listen down there, you know, that's, why not? That's exciting. I think it would look like fun. I try, like, unless people ask me about my podcast, I don't really tell people about it, but like, I feel like I lived this double life too, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you started off season one with this story about a cult in Western North Carolina, or they would say a church, I would say a cult. And... Uh, you kind of left us hanging there. Is there more to that? There's a lot. I could make the whole podcast about this church. It is the reason why it's interesting. I mean, there are a lot of podcasts out there that do that cover cults, but this one is different because it's ongoing. It's an ongoing cult, and even as I was reporting on it in season one, there was still stuff happening, and that's why I think it's such an important story to tell because this church. Who, you know, like you said, some people call it a cult, and it actually has every sign of a cult. Mm-hmm. I mean, it has a very authoritative leader who cannot be questioned. It's uh, difficult to leave. Yeah, it's difficult to leave. They're not recruiting, and, um, you know, th- they could only work at church businesses. But all that, you know, that's not hurting anybody. That's just kind of strange, right? But the, the reason why this story is important is because there's reports about abuse. Mm-hmm. And in season one, I was, uh, I had... Um, secret recordings of the church leader, the the head pastor, her name is Jane Whaley, it's a woman, who was commanding someone to be dropped to the ground and beaten. And I have that on tape. That was the first time anybody heard that recording. It was on my podcast. It was terrifying. Yeah, it was It was very scary. So you, you're now going from a weird church with weird rules to, you know, people getting abused, kids getting abused. Crimes. Okay? Yeah, and, and it was happening as I released episode one, two, and three uh, for season one. And right around the time when I was releasing episode one, two, and three, there was a, and I, I was reporting on it, I kind of alluded on, about it at the end of season, uh, episode three, but th- this church has a satellite church in Brazil and in Ghana and actually the church in Brazil, like the church in North Carolina only has 700 members. The church in Brazil has thousands of members. Oh okay, so they're, they're going international. So my question was, wait, I wanna to talk to somebody who goes to the church in Brazil. 
And it took me a long time, but I finally got an interview with a former member from the Brazilian church. And it was, it was crazy to see how they were able to replicate not only the, the weird rules and the, and the screaming prayers that they have, but also the abuse happens and, down there as well. And what about the person who's talking directly to God? Were they able to replicate that? Everything. I mean, like, it, it is a mirror image. Even their main sanctuary, like, is a mirror image of the North Carolina church. They were able to replicate it in a South American country. It was, it's just incredible. And the personal story that's, that, that I was able to capture was heartbreaking. It was about this, this man who, a young man, he was... Uh, a young man who is homosexual didn't was trying to figure out his sexuality while being in this church and you know he was abused and he finally left the church but his his story is heartbreaking mm. uh, but but that's worth uh, that's a story worth telling so I knew that I needed to tell that story but also something weird happened as I released the this these three stories about the church right as I was on the air, an, uh, a death occurred. There was a death of somebody who is related to the church, okay? And I couldn't report on it then because it was too fresh, but it's been six months, and that death is, has still hasn't been declared a murder or a suicide. And so I'm digging into it too, and uh, that's really interesting. You know, I, it's not church-related, but it is kind of in that same orbit, and so I'm, I'm telling that story as well. So there are a lot of stories that that are coming out about this church. Yeah. So your 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 wife married this guy who is in video journalism, does animation, all this fun stuff, and now what? <laughs> yeah, you know, all these crazy stories that I shared with you today, she has to listen to this all the time. And she doesn't see it the way we see it. She's like, why did you get into this? You know, like, why are you, like, doing this? You know, um, You're doing this for fun? For free? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am. I'm doing it for free. And she's super supportive. Yeah. Uh, I always call her my executive producer because... Uh, by the time I finish an episode, I'm so sick of it, and I, I let her have it, and and she'll give me like raw feedback, and she's great. Yeah. She's, she's a good sounding board, and as a good wife, I'm sure honest feedback. Honest feedback, and uh, I'm sure she's so tired of me talking about it. <laughs> right? She's going, yes, it's done. Yeah. We can move on to the next subject. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, I went down to the outpost in Raleigh, North Carolina. And I traded a beer for a story with my good friends Jeff Moore and Dan Barnes. We recorded in a bar, so there's a bit of background noise. Welcome to the Live Canary Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Moore, for another week in review, but a little stranger than fiction with some special guests. Daniel. Jeffrey. Daniel P. Barnes got it right. <laughs> Finally, it's Finally. about time. Good Lord. <laughs> We're sitting down with Javier from Pretend Radio. Hey, how's it going, guys? Thanks the for having me over. The podcast that does not stop. It does not stop until it does. <laughs> You're on a little break, right? I'm a little break. You're collecting right now, stories. You know, I'm just one guy making a you know a little 30 minute documentary every week. You there know? you go. I love it though. Yeah. I love Pretend Radio. For all of you who don't know, Pretend Radio 
is a podcast about pretenders. Yeah, it's a ba basically about people pretending to be someone else. And I actually had no idea what it was going to actually turn out to be. But <laughs> so I, I, I had, you know, this guy that I knew who yeah. was a, like a con artist. And I was like, hey, you know, I got this idea for this show. Nice. Uh, do you mind if I test it out with you? And he's like, yeah, yeah. That you was your, uh, your cousin, right? Yeah, it was That's my cousin. Lives in, lives in Miami or Yeah, or he's my, in Miami. And so like this guy's been to prison a bunch of times and actually That's I was fantastic but I, I didn't you know I didn't know much about his story <laughs> so it was mostly me like testing out the format for the show but really I was learning about, about him your cousin in real time like when you learned about him like by listening wow. to the show that's so I that was, was real reaction yeah those that are real, real because that's I, awesome. knew, I knew he was a bad guy I just didn't realize he's a bad guy uh, he's a bad guy he kind of was know? a bad guy though right a little, a little bit a little, little bit, bit. <laughs> but you, you know what's funny about the whole thing is that I think he thought that I was gonna make like Scarface, like, cause like, why would, <laughs> why would he agree to this? This is ridiculous. I don't like, know. He hasn't even been sentenced yet for his latest crime, <laughs> and he's telling you. And everything. I'm like, are you sure it's sure okay to use your real name? And he's like, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I'm yeah. like, are you sure you want to talk about this? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is great. And uh, I was like, okay, but I, then he didn't talk to me afterwards <laughs> because I, did I don't he think, listen to it? Yeah, I think he listened to it, and he called me up after because this is a uh, part one and part two. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so after part one, he, he calls me up. He goes, hey, Javi, um, I don't... I don't, I don't think you should air part two yeah, yet. Because I, I haven't been sentenced. Two. And I'm like, wait, why the hell? I, I mean, you, I was like, it's we, well, we've known about this for months. See he this? He didn't know your podcast was going to be that big. You well, know? No, I, no. I don't think he realized that I wasn't going to glorify him as a criminal. This is the blend of pretend radio meets stranger than fiction. Because you couldn't make that up. It is kind okay. of funny, gotcha. this new life that I live now. Because... <laughs> It is, it is such a strange... You're surrounding yourself with criminals and it pretenders. It is a very strange Are you life. saying your life is and, now stranger than fiction? And after my guys. life is very strange. So let me tell you what happened yesterday. I walk home. Uh -huh. I walk in through the door. I, you know, I get the mail. You know, like, just put the keys down. Regular, like, that like howdy stuff. duty. Very howdy duty. My wife, you know, she gives me a kiss. Hey, She's an apple pie. You know. You, you hang the, the jacket What's on the, the coat rack. Yeah, yeah. Apple so pie, my God. I, I get the mail. And in the mail, I actually have it in the car with me, I get an autopsy report from the medical examiner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my life has definitely gotten It's a lot not going to be a hobby much longer, I'm going to tell you that. You don't think so? No, All it's right. catching legs. And that so. leads me to my first question. You found what works. Because you had this premise, right? Pretenders, but... I think, and I think you said this in the last episode, you're kind of finding your groove, and I really think you found it with those oh, last few. Oh, thank you. So, how did, when did it click that you're like, okay, I'm, I'm getting listenership, but not only that, but I'm getting good feedback? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, um, the show was... It it's kind of been like a work in progress. So I, I, people that listen to it are like, wait a minute, you switch topics from episodes to episodes. It's not like true crime. It's not, no. it, you know, it could be whatever. Right. And, right. and that's me just trying to figure out the show. And uh, season one was trying to see what works. And, right. you know, I've gotten a lot of good feedback, but I'm afraid that like that feedback is shaping the, the future of the show. You know, like now I, I feel like I have to do like more I, of the same. You know? I think there's a lot of true crime out there though. And I'm, I've got a question later that refers to that. But what I like about yours is you have these other stories about maybe not necessarily crime, yeah. but um, just interweaving like people's lives that are very much fit in with the theme of pretend. Yeah. And I think that to me, that really touches me because 
there's so much true crime, but I think you found a niche in it. Yeah, that's really. I, I call it diet true crime. You know, like it's like true crime with like half the calories. Hey man, diets for you. Yeah. Diets better for you anyway. Yeah. So it's I'm, true I'm crime without it. the uh, nightmares. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because I, I, I did this like serial killer story, and I was like, eh. you know, it was very. I, I did it, and I I think that I'm very happy with the way it right. turned out. But like that's not for me. You know, like I I think. Like, uh, there's plenty of, like, real true crime ser- serial absolutely, killer podcasts. Absolutely, like, absolutely, Like, I'm, like, kind of covering this underworld of, like... That's what I like. Sneaky people. And and actually, it could be, like... Sneaky people. Yeah, but it, but it could be a positive thing, too. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Like, absolutely. You could be pretending... Yeah, like, the, the undercover cop. He was pretending to do good. Right. You know? Which or like, was amazing episode, yeah. by the way. Okay, that's it. But stay tuned for the new Pretend Radio episode titled The Jolly Roger Social Club coming real soon. Here's a promo. Next time on Pretend Radio, you might remember Sharon McConnell Dickerson from an earlier episode titled The Sculptor. You know, sculpting is the way I access um, a lost sense. It is the vehicle through which I access a lost sense, my sight. When we were recording that episode, she told me a story that, quite frankly, was hard to believe. Man, it was, it's one of the most traumatic um, events in my life that I've gone through. And months and months of uh, worry and research and trying to connect and, and not being able to access the internet because I'm blind. It sounded like something out of a movie. And in fact, it should be turned into a movie. It's one of the most sadistic con artist stories I've ever heard. He had to meet Bo in order to um, start dealing, um, you know, weaving that web of deception of pretending to buy his house. So, of course, the two had to have met. So I don't know why I didn't think of that before, Javier. Of course they met. You just gave me an aha moment there. Creative Babble.